The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. Happy Friday, everyone. I would say good Friday, but we're a couple weeks away from that, so I didn't want to confuse anyone. But it's been a while. Been almost a month since the last pod went up on His Girl Friday. So just after a couple posts and just a, a busy month, one which saw the preparation of the Messenger Fellowship Summit at the Gate Community Church, our annual international pastoral conference, which basically is like this time warp. It, Pretty much, it, you know, it happens every March, and once you get to March 1, it's like you're on the clock to when, uh, the summit, which typically is held the last week of March. So I just say that because it's been a busy stretch, a lot going on behind the scenes. I haven't uh, put down the pen, though, uh, as we'll get to in a moment, but at any rate, just wanted to welcome you guys in and hope it's, it's been a crazy week, but a good one. Um, maybe I'll get around to talking about the significance of this week. Uh, but if, first things first, I want to talk about something that has been brewing for the last couple months. It, it goes back to uh, an incident that happened at work, uh, you know, late January, early February. And it's actually, uh, it didn't just happen in one moment. It's actually been a rolling storyline. Uh, that's, I guess you could say it's, this podcast is the culmination. It's the ending point for me. There's some finale to it. Uh, not to suggest that I'm cutting this for personal reasons. I really want to minister to the heart of all of you guys who haven't encountered discrimination in some way. Because it happens anytime, anywhere. Especially in the melting pots of life where we're surrounded by all this diversity in this technological age. We're exposed to a lot of things. You know, you talk about the emerging generations being more fired up and passionate about social political issues. And we just are exposed to a lot of biases and prejudices and prides all the time. And one of the ways they specifically manifest is discrimination. And so today I'm going to talk about three ways we can deal with discrimination specifically at work when we're on the clock and again, I think this is just a, an important topic to address, to, to unpack together, because we've all been there one way or another. We've been on the receiving end. Maybe we've been on the giving end. We, we've dished it out without realizing it, and we had to come back and own something, like whether to a superior subordinate. All I know is, is that discrimination and the pain that it causes, it could feel like whiplash. You know, one second you're without a care in the world, and the next you're face-to-face with fear confirmed. A vain anxiety, now a realized struggle. When discrimination happens, it has a way of blindsiding us. We go through the five stages of grief or anger, I suppose, uh, where it's just like, is this really happening? Is this for real? And then we just get very inward-focused and Bad things tend to happen when we become self-absorbed. Not necessarily inward focus. There's a time to reflect and to introspect uh, and take inventory. But discrimination, how do we stay ahead of it? 
I think a lot of times we talk about how to, you know, heal our wounds, um, what we do in the aftermath of, you know, we talk about in a reactionary context, but I like to talk about things, uh, you know, preventatively. So that's what this pod's going to be about. So you're probably listening there wondering, all right, well, how do I deal with the pride and prejudices outside my control? At work, political arenas, even in church. I see it a lot of times in Christian circles. It's not bias. <laughs> Discrimination is not biased towards parties uh, because we're all fallen with the sword of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Still, um, permit me to share some guidance on ways we could overcome. And so we'll start with this. Uh, I'm going to take something I've been learning in the, the book of Matthew the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to stack it against this topic. And I believe this is a fresh angle. I think that this is, for the most part, uh, this mesh up that I'm going to do in the next 20 minutes, uh, it's not common. And I think you'll see that out. But first point, dealing with discrimination at work, is accept the little kid within. When we talk about how we're to accomplish something righteously, we talk about ethics and character and integrity and ways to strengthen those traits within us. It comes back to identity. What is our identity with respect to discrimination at work? We have to go back to when Jesus is telling his disciples, Matthew 18, verse 1, where he's previewing the local church. And he says this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, a couple things. I think when we're young and we hear this, we, we think of, humble simply in submissive terms, and we think of, like this child, yes, there was a child there uh, that Jesus was using as an illustration, but figuratively, to his audience, he wasn't talking about only little children can enter the kingdom of heaven. There is an inner child in all of us, and we often push that aside because we associate children, child, to immaturity. But in this case, seeing our identity through the lens of the filter of a child, there's maturity there that we neglect. It's like if we could grasp this, I feel like we're even more so on the trajectory to maturity. Um, and there's ripple effects. When we embrace maturity, it comes out uh, in unique ways that just wouldn't, have, wouldn't evolve or wouldn't happen in our own strength. In this verse, Jesus is essentially saying the key to living the kingdom is Christ's bottom line for community. In three words, that is, become like children. Our intent may be good, our efforts may be efficient, but if our attitude isn't one of childlike awe and innocence, our walk with God will become misdirected. We think, oh, well, if we sin, then maybe our walk will become misdirected, or if we don't repent. Repentance is key in the good news, yes. But how do we... What kind of attitude and heart posture do we take when we're in that process of stopping in a place of rest? Because this is, you know, this is not exactly uh, central to the topic tonight, but just something to put out there. When we repent, we don't just turn right away and, and you turn 180 degrees and go in the other direction, go and sin no more. Remember the adulteress 
who was about to be stoned, but Jesus said, you know, the very famous line, whoever hears without sin, let him cast for stone. No one could throw it after that. I love that. And what does the adulteress do? She drops to her knees and, and, and weeps. She's idle. She's humble. She's broken. And Jesus comes down to her level and is like, where are your accusers? It's not like, you know, once the people left and dropped the stones that she just like, all right, I get it. See ya. Peace. I'm, I'm not going to go into no more. Um, in fact, I, I imagine that the adulteress stayed even be, you know, after Jesus said, go and say no more. I, I don't picture the adulteress leaving, but sticking around a little bit. Maybe they had a couple minutes of just profound dialogue that's just not in the scriptures. I couldn't imagine just, I would feel so heavy and shock. Uh, you know, I'd want to be around this Jesus quite a bit longer. <laughs> and that's how we're supposed to approach repentance. A little bit of a rabbit trail there, but I'm just saying repentance is key. But if we're going to, like, if I'm that adulteress, if I could somehow imagine life in her shoes or sandals, I would want to become more like a child. I would want innocence to be a part of my life again. Go and sin no more. You see, the disciples at this point were thinking like the world. They didn't see the greatest as a humble kid, free of value, judgments, offense, manipulation, selective disclosure, anyone? I know I am. It's one of the ways I compartmentalize community. It's compartmentalize the love I show to people every day and my consistency and being a servant and going out of my way and just seeing if people are okay, if they're all right, and being fearless. But those disciples, they saw the greatest like anyone else through the lens of power, success, money, and reputation. So you can imagine the confusion the disciples must have felt when Jesus responded. In contrast, unless you repent, that is, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, live changed lives, and become like children, trusting, humble, and forgiving. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's the Amplified Version. Again, Jesus is not foreshadowing a key community goal here, but he's emphasizing the kingdom definition of success is how we treat people. If we're to impact a culture in which everyone is loved, we should be motivated to walk in honesty, vulnerability, transparency, and to honor and serve one another as opposed to offend or condemn, or slight, or neglect, or forsake, or just, you know, there's so many different ways we can discriminate so much of it, the vast majority of discrimination is internal and kept within ourselves. And a lot of it goes unrepented because we think discrimination is only discrimination if it manifests a certain way, if it has external, conf uh, if it has ex external consequences beyond yourself. Unfortunately, in a fallen world, there are many who tolerate the contrary to what it's like to walk in honesty and vulnerability with one another. We could say people are lost. Haters going to hate. Yes, but what exactly does that mean? Well, a lot of times it goes back to roots of unbelief and negativity, bitterness, shame, withdrawal, patterns that people are, again, blind or numb to, uh, but they are there. And oftentimes we're, we're encountering the fruit of it, you know, the, the leaf of the root system. And it's here in the face of... Just the opposition, not saying that people are the enemy, but the principalities binding them certainly are. And it's here we must calibrate our expectations, whether one is a child in flesh, emotional or in spirit, like my own kids, at least uh, the flesh anyway, um, or emotion or spirit. I mean, we could all be 
children in the immature way, um, where we are still stuck in a ways we should have left behind a long time ago. Thinking of 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, and it's here we have to understand that our call is to receive and love while leaning on God's understanding. That's one way you can even frame uh, repentance. To receive and love while laying on God's understanding and the post-repentance lifestyle. In this way, whatever hate lies within can be appropriated to the right place. The sin and principalities involved. And that's a key word I want you to chew on a little bit. As we go to our next point, uh, we want fear of the Lord to be appropriated properly because fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, but it's loving what God loves and hating what God hates. What we encounter, we have to appropriate. But we can't do that unless we receive love while leaning on God's understanding. That is so foundational. So the bottom line of this first point, become my children. If we're to justly deal with discrimination, we must accept the child within. Even if the other side is lost, feeling insignificant, or behaving like an enemy, by giving agape love, i.e. love that works it out, and forgiveness a chance, we preserve the peacemaking, bridge-building strategies of God. To reach people with the love of God, there's a right way to bridge the gaps. And some a lot of times it's just going to, you know, I'm not going to, a lot of times it comes down to making that decision to um, die to our fear, just resisting the fear of man in the moment, and just rising above and being like, I'm not going to be offended, but I'm going to keep on keeping on without restructuring my communal boundaries, my relational boundaries. I'm going to keep agape love in motion. I'm going to sustain it by continuing to receive in love and focusing on that while, again, leaning on God's understanding. Proverbs, you know, as you know, how much of the first, you know, 10 chapters or so has a phrase, something similar to leaning on God's understanding? Quite a bit, right? All right, so second point is stay the little kid within. All these points are going to have something to do with the kid within. The good kid. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm caught in nostalgia, I can't help but notice how fast it comes and goes. Like a child in awe, the wonder is deep. The impression is evident, but the moment is often fleeting. The question is, if we're to become like children, how do we stay like children? And in one word, it's consistency. We're going to go to John, First uh, John chapter 2. As John points out in chapter 1, or 1 John 2. What we lack as little kids, we learn through maturation and conforming to God's will and purpose, thought, and action. However, in order to experience this, we must daily aim to discover God by habitually keeping focus on what allows us to yield to Him. So I'm not going to read this entire verse, but I encourage you to, to look at it to consider the habitual customary relationship in verses, uh, 1 John 2, 3 through 5, and again later on in 9 through 11. Note the repetition in these, uh, let's see, six verses. You'll find habitually is repeated several times. Precepts, treasuring the message in entirety, allowing the love of God to truly be perfected in you, to reach completion and maturity. 
the one who's in the light habitually hates darkness. The one who loves and unselfishly seeks the best for his brother lives in the light, and in him there's no occasion for offense. Just reading select phrases, um, you could read the whole thing yourself because it just takes too long, and I want to honor the timing of this of this pod. So yeah, the passage is going to seem repetitious when you read it, but I love what John is doing here. He's a master of audience. John knew his readers were not only professing Christians, but believers who valued custom as worship and fellowship with Christ as habitually abiding. Accordingly, John emphasizes a reality view here in this letter centered on daily partnership through obedience. Knowing these little children that he was addressing, if you go to verse 1 and look at the greeting there, Knowing these little children would see the call as something more than surrender, momentary surrender, but life itself. Boy, this is getting good. It's just, you know, it's another template in the scriptures on how we're to live and function in community with one another, regardless of what the setting and surrounding the circumstances are at work. This is amazing. You know, we could have, you know, it's, it's linking our quiet time and what we get in a Sunday morning, Wednesday night experience at church. And we're finding the common ground, the links. You know, we're all about bridging the sacred and secular here. And John's like, here, here here's a way of, of doing that. If we're to understand consistency now, like let's tie it back to discrimination. If we're to understand consistency in the face of discrimination and in the context of abiding like children, then we must embrace Christ as our daily interceding advocate. Ministry of Reconciliation. Remember, we're ambassadors of Christ. We partner with him. That's because he's our daily interceding advocate. Can't be ambassadors if he was an advocate first, right? And he's daily interceding. He doesn't stop doing that. It's true to his nature. Should we not do this to our employees? Our co-workers, our colleagues? I mean, imagine if we were just so quick to run to the intercession post-defense or if the temptation of defense exists. And uh, I mean, I've done that and it's powerful because it's just like, it's a choice that I, I could feel the strength in me to do something against the flesh. I do it and I'm like, wow, that actually worked. Like, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but wow, that actually is like, I got beyond myself there. But going back to Christ as our daily interceding advocate, it's when we reference Christ as this, our champion, that we can center the cross in our minds, treasuring truth and community. There's a little Easter insertion for you. Because, uh, again, you can't separate the cross from anything we talk about. The epitome of, of God's love from us, right? It's when we reference Christ as our champion that we center the cross in our minds, treasuring truth and community. After all, if we're to be like Jesus, we must be in him, rooted in and knit to him as the promise keeper he is. 1 John 2 is building to verse 27. As for you, the anointing, the special gift, the preparation which you receive from him remains permanently in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But just as his anointing teaches you, giving you insight through the presence of the Holy Spirit, about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as his anointing has taught you, you must remain in him, being rooted in him, knit to him. Bottom line of the second point is, regardless if we're dealing with discrimination at work, our default response should know no offense. 
Yet in order to lack offense, we must first choose consistent fellowship with Christ, trust his unfolding purposes, not just in us, but in others, and allow his love to perfect as we habitually seek his highest. This is how we stay, the little kid within. Last point, see the little kid within. Apart from the points above, I'll keep this short and sweet. If our aim is to trust God in childlike faith and Abba Father reliance, we must also aim to see the same potential in others. Kind of just said that, actually. But, um, you know, it's easier said than done. As the presence of God is the only power that can mature a child like anything. But as a body pursuing the best of God, we must also believe the best of Him, even if it hasn't happened yet. And what better place to practice than with our comrades, our colleagues at work? Now, let me just say one thing real quick about believing the best in others, the unfolding purposes in others. This is a powerful tool in our arsenal. Is you know, there's a lot of people again that we experience who are lost, blind, or numb in some way. But to imagine them, what they would be like if they found Jesus and were walking in light, the freedom that you know, what would they be like post freedom? And we get, we have to remember that you know, a lot, you know, some of those hearings we were Christians very young, and then we had to you know, grow up in some ways, but. Maybe you just don't know what it's like to be as lost, as blind, as numb as people who've been that way for decades. And they just don't know what it's like on the other side. We have to model that to them. At least allowing yourself that out to imagine what it would be like if they weren't chained. There's humility there. There is some, there, there is some heart protection there. It's like just choosing to go there in your mind. It's, it's like you're preserving that agape love. It's like you know what? I'm not going to sweep it under the carpet. You're just not understanding. But just sometimes we try to make sense. So much of our surroundings is the exact opposite of how we're supposed to react in the moment. We're not supposed to make sense of why someone is the way they is, why they offended you or discriminated against you. Just imagine what it would be like if the, the, the bindings, the principalities, the strongholds that contributed to the offense and the discrimination existing in the first place, if that was gone, what would the situation be like? Imagine the best case scenario and extend that to people. Wouldn't it be wild if more believers entered into this type of rest more consistently? What peace... What palpable peace we'd sense, substituting the disappointments of what we can't change with the belief in who can't. What anxiety, as a result, we release, imagining change in others as change going to happen, not could happen. Embracing this perspective, would we not see the little child within, not just in us, but in these other people? We're believing the best for it, even if they were treating us poorly. Not perhaps not at first, if we're just being real, but given the child doesn't discriminate or manipulate, at least looking at the the age demographic that was most likely applicable in the in the moment Jesus was talking to his disciples. At some point, a child becomes an older child and learns these things, but a young innocent child of five, six, seven years old. They're not quite the ability to cognitively discriminate or manipulate intentionally. 
one must wonder if offense would pale in the light of safe honesty. As adults, we may not think like children, but we can certainly be more open to grace when we take no offense like them. As little children, this is the bottom line of this point, as little children, believe in what you've been given for others. Dare to apply the hope may have it, but faith will have it mentality to how you view and treat your colleagues, subordinates, and superiors at work. And remember, don't just think positive thoughts in a vacuum, but extend them to those who persecute and condemn you. Because in Christ in you, you have the strength to do this. And that's where I'll end tonight's content, tonight's pod. Now, I'm not going to go into detail of, you know, specific detail of what contributed, what motivated the writing of this post. I will say that in my attempt to wrestle with the hurt the right way, you know, I know how I work. I know that putting pen to paper and just writing it out and just thinking about how would I want to teach this? How would I make this a teaching moment? And then how I would teach it to others. This is how I think. It's how I go to. It's like to bless others and to equip them and empower them. How do I get above myself? It's like, it is a diversion of sorts. I will be honest. And the situation at work, you know, if I'm not careful, I could still harp there because there's, you know, there's people that I see somewhat regularly. And if I'm not walking with the Lord, if I'm not careful, I can let that eat at me. You know, just the letting their presence be a trigger. I know what that's like. And I know for a lot of us, we know what it's like for just even the mention of a name, to see the name, to be a trigger. And it just exposes that we haven't quite uh, surrendered all of the, the hurt and the sense of justice. When we are discriminated against, we want that justice and we want to take it into our own hands. And the reason why we don't take it into our hands at work is because there would be negative repercussions. We don't want to suffer anymore. But that desire to not suffer is even based in the flesh and self-centeredness. We don't want to contribute poison to an already poisoned well. So much comes down to just inviting God into our hearts in the moment, not wasting any time. Lord, purify my heart. This contrite, broken, humble heart. Guard me from the temptation manifesting into action. And just know that there's a little kid within, a good, healthy, young, innocent kid, just leaning like just the... It's more than a metaphor, guys. I just think about the uh, when my son messes up, he does what he's not supposed to, and he feels guilty about it. It doesn't take him much time at all. In fact, he's so quick to just, I'm sorry, Daddy. He loves me. He comes to me and he hugs me, he gets on my lap, and you know whatever frustration is simmering, it just goes out. It's just such a beautiful picture of what repentance can be like with God and. That process of being cleansed. People are going to hate on you. They're going to make decisions based on what they know, what they think they know, rather. And it's what they think they know. It's just a very tiny, rusty old pinhole they're looking at you through. And I've had to learn that, okay, if that's 
their perspective point, if that's the way they're seeing me, just through this tiny little speck of a hole, even more reason to not be offended, right? Because if they saw the whole picture and they knew more intimately what was going on and they still rejected, that would kill all the more. Those who know us as well as they can, you know, loved ones, spouse, family members, and, you know, obviously the more love you experience, the more less likely you are to judge unfairly, poorly, discriminate, etc. Doesn't mean it can't happen, but, you know, we just, to those we love the most, the more likely we're going to give the benefit of the doubt. Because we're not, you know, at that point, you spend more time with one another and your perspective becomes more aerial. You could see, you know, the 10 pegs of your peripheral expanded to see, okay, I get this more. I get, I understand this more. I understand that this is not a negative thing, but just part of a wiring that was divinely intended. We don't have to lessen that approach just because the majority of people who are around at work are just on a lower level. And they're content with their peripheral, with their perspective. Don't let their false contentment be a reason to be discouraged. Love your way out of the jam. And I mean, just stop in the moment, pray, lean on the Lord's understanding, receive his love, and then go and be consistent in your expressions of servanthood and agape love and humility. That's what I'm doing now, and it's working. There's progress, and it. No one has to know about it. I guess maybe you, the listener, now knows that. You know, there's been positive momentum. It's not perfect, but I'm tasting what it's like. I'm 33 years old. I feel like I'm 23 most days, but I'm much loving life at this season of my life because I'm just. I'm not just understanding conceptually like I did 10 years ago, but I'm understanding at the heart level. I'm in this point where so much is translating down to the heart, finally. Or rather, I'm understanding at the heart level. I'm, you know, I'm not just thinking. I'm not just, you're not just feeling at the heart level. I used to think at the mind and feel in the heart, and there was this disconnect. And now it's just starting to blend together. And boy, is that my prayer for you, especially at work. It's just, you know, we're not going to be able to bridge the, the sacred and the secular, if we're not bridging those divides between our mind and our heart, between our strength and our soul and our heart. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to stop rambling because I, you know, can do this, you know, just talking to an audience of one, to an audience that's unseen. I'm, I'm beginning to, to love the art and the, the social science, the just the tech application, all, you know, the whole pro, uh, process. I'm really enjoying how you know, the podcast system works and functions. It's becoming more popular as far as how people are communicating and reaching people with a specific message. So just know that this is fun. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy partnering with you in this way. If you have any questions, if any comments, if anything to share, you have our contact information. There's a way to drop a comment on our website at hisgrowthfriday.com. This will be posted to SoundCloud, and iTunes, Facebook. Uh, we'll put some posts out on Instagram as well, just letting you know that this podcast exists. And hopefully we'll be able to get it up on social media by Sunday night so that by Monday morning you're driving to work or 
maybe you're on the road some other way and you just listen to this, uh, you have an access point by then, by next Monday. Then you could just drop a, a line if you if you want. Let listen. I know how we can pray for you. We would be glad to partner with you in any way we can. We want to extend our servant hearts, our gratitude uh, to you guys as the audience. So just know that as we close this up. So I'm going to say a quick word of prayer, and I'll you know, we'll be on our way. So Lord, I know this was a short pod as far as capturing the content, capturing the topic of discrimination, how we deal with it in general, and how we deal with it specifically at work. But I just pray in your mind, in the precious name of Jesus, will you go forth and spark a new work in all of us? Help us to mature and to see that process of maturation through the heart of a little kid, through that visual you provide that's supposed to be more, it's more than a metaphor and illustration. It's more than analogy, allegory, whatever. It's more than that. Help us to see our identity as children to not be afraid to become like children the right way. We're, we're leaning on you. We're relying upon you. We're yielding to you. We're referencing you as an automatic default response. And we have no problem running to you when we're tempted, when we've messed up, or just even when we're joyful that we're not just like, all right, I'm good. Peace. See you, God. Thank you for the, for the happiness. There's an old way of thinking that needs to die on a lot of us and i pray you'll begin to just reveal those inner places where we can surrender our tendency to make sense of our surroundings and to try and reason and rationalize the way our adult minds tend to sometimes we get too smart for our own good or we we, we try to be too smart we're not leaning on you and that is the ultimate irony in, in this topic t- tonight we may have sharp ideas by world standards, but ultimately, we're not making the smart call if we're not choosing you in those moments when pride, prejudice, discrimination hit, when we're left out, and we don't know why, when we're avoided, when we're shunned, when we're, you know, just those, you know, we sense the manipulation. We can almost feel it cut with a knife. When we're skipped over, literally, and we, you know, a lot of us know what it's like to be skipped over intentionally. And it's like, that's not an accident. But in those moments, give us strength, Lord, to love our, uh, to love those who are behaving like enemies. To forgive as you forgive. To accept the little child within. To give forgiveness a chance as it is with us to pursue peace and harmony with another and to not put boundaries and conditions on our servant hearts. Grant us a spirit of consistency, of steadfastness as well. Uh, Yeah, if we're going to be persistent in perseverance, it ultimately comes from you. When we're we're talking about abiding you, we want to do it habitually, like John captures in 1 John 2. Set our minds on things above. Help that be our default. Pursuing the best of God with everything we have. Embracing it, reaching for it, and believing it, not just for ourselves, but for those around us, our colleagues, our subordinates, our superiors, all points in between. Pray your blessing, covering and anointing over the audience right now. 
embrace them. Help them feel your love afresh and anew today. Help them sense it and believe it in ways they've never had before. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, it's been real. It's been great. It's been awesome. Have a great weekend. We'll try and get another pod in a couple weeks. Uh, Listen, I leave for France on April 26th. We'll be gone for a week and a half, so know that there is a break coming. We'll try to get a pod cut before that trip. If not, try to have something uh, uh, in mid-May. Chances are, Listen, I... Regard, you know whether we get a pod issued before the trip or not, we'll stop by together and do another. We'll cut another pod um, eh, about yeah middle of May. And, and just talking about our trip, what we learned from it. Uh, this is part mission trip, part five year anniversary celebration. So it's gonna be a fun time. But yeah, we can't wait to share with you that. As always, I'll catch you on the fry. Peace.